I do want to encourage again, uh, I know we've mentioned it several times, but the two events we have coming up, uh, the, the first one happening next weekend, uh, the IF gathering uh, for 2023, uh, Ladies, come to that if you're able. It is a, going to be a wonderful, wonderful experience. Excellent teaching. Uh, strongly encourage the women of Dogwood to come. And it's open to people who are not at Dogwood. So you're welcome to invite other women to join you at this event. We would love for, uh, for there to be a full house uh, learning and growing together. That's one of the things we said we're focusing on this year is discipleship. God's not done with any of us yet. Wherever we are in the stage, we're all growing. And so this is an opportunity, ladies, to gather and learn and grow together. And then at the end of March, we'll have the men's event. Uh, also another great opportunity for some excellent teaching uh, for for us guys. So please make plans to be a part of those uh, those events. All right, well, last week, as we continued our sermon series through the Gospel of Luke, we saw, uh, we were reminded of God's radical love for us. Uh, and so, as children of God who have experienced that radical love, that changes how we live. That should change how we live. That should change how we think about things in this world. Uh, and so today we're going to talk about stewardship as we continue on uh, our uh, sermon series through Luke. Managing money and resources that God has given us. It's our favorite topic, right? Uh, so uh, there's some really helpful things from Luke 16 for us to uh, to consider uh as we think about the, the stuff that the Lord has given us uh, and how we should view them and how we should use them. And so our title for our sermon today is Godly Stewardship. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Luke 16. I'll read the chapter. Yes, it's long. I'll read the chapter uh, and then we'll walk through and look at a few things from the text that are helpful for every one of us. Luke chapter 16 Verse 1, now he said to his disciples, there was a rich man who received an accusation that his manager was squandering his possessions. So he called the manager in and asked, what is this that I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you can no longer be my manager. Then the manager said to himself, what will I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do, so that when I'm removed from management, people will welcome me into their homes. So he summoned each one of his master's debtors. How much do you owe my master? He asked the first one. A hundred measures of olive oil, he said. Take your invoice, he told him. Sit down quickly and write fifty. Next, he asked another. How much do, I, how much do you owe? A hundred measures of wheat, he said. Take your invoice, he told him, and write eighty. The master praised the unrighteous manager because he acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd than the children of light in dealing with their own people. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of worldly wealth so that when it fails, they may welcome you into eternal dwellings. Whoever is faithful in very... 
whoever is faithful in very little is also faithful in much, and whoever is unrighteous in very little is also unrighteous in much. So if you have not been faithful with worldly wealth, who will trust you with what is genuine? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to someone else, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, were listening to all these things and scoffing at him. And he told them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the sight of others, but God knows your hearts. For what is highly admired by people is revolting in God's sight. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God has been proclaimed, and everyone is urgently invited to enter it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of the letter of the law to drop out. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery, and everyone who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. There was a rich man who would dress in purple and fine linen, feasting lavishly every day. But a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, was lying at his gate. He longed to be filled with what fell from the rich man's table. But instead, the dogs would come and lick his sores. One day, the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he looked up and saw Abraham a long way off with Lazarus at his side. Father Abraham, he called out, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this flame. Son, Abraham said, remember that during your life you received your good things just as Lazarus received his bad things. But now he is comforted here while you are in agony. Besides all this, a great chasm has been fixed between us and you so that those who want to pass over from here to you cannot. Neither can those from there cross over to us. Father, he said, then I beg you to send him to my father's house because I have five brothers to warn them so that they won't also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. But he told him, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We confess it again as true And we ask that you help us understand it today. We ask that you help us live lives changed because of the truth that we hear. Uh, Confront our hearts, God. Uh, Shape us for your glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So all three of these sections, there's three sections here. Uh, there's the, the parable of the dishonest manager. There's a uh, discussion uh, with, a confrontation with the Pharisees. And then there's the parable or the story of the rich man and Lazarus. All three of these sections 
focus in stewardship, focus in on the, the use of resources that the Lord has given us. Uh, I think it's important for us, anytime we're thinking about money, anytime we're thinking about material goods, anytime we're thinking about the things of this world, is to remember that it's all from the Lord. Everything that we have comes from the Lord. And our culture, and really all people's hearts, we tend to think of things in terms of, this is mine. I own this. I worked for this. I earned this. David rightfully said this after collecting funds to help build the temple. David prays this prayer And in 1 Chronicles 29, verse 14, he makes this confession. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? For everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your own hand. And that's an important thing for us to remember when we're thinking about Money. When we're thinking about the resources that we have, the things that we have in this world, we should view it. If we are followers of Jesus, we should view all of it as this is from the Lord. This belongs to the Lord. And that can help us try to set our hearts right where our hearts are wanting to cling to things or while our hearts are wanting to chase after the things of this world, that reminder that this is all the Lord's and it's been given to us from Him should help us in that. So, we're going to look at three things from this uh, section on uh, stewardship, godly stewardship. If we are followers of Jesus, how we use our resources, how we use our finances uh, should reflect that. And so the first point that we're going to see is this, godly stewardship requires treasuring God over money. Godly stewardship requires treasuring God over money. Money. So in the first eight verses, we're not going to reread those eight verses, but in the first eight verses, we hear the story in this parable. And it is one of the parables that is confusing, honestly. Uh, and even in the interpretation of it, scholars land on a couple different ways that you could understand what's being said here. Uh, and so we'll try to make some some clarification around some of that, but the point of the parable is clear. So in the first eight verses we hear there's a rich man who he finds out that his manager, uh, the person that kind of oversees all of his finances and his accounts, is wasting away his resources. And so he calls him in, confronts him, uh, and says, I need you to give an account of everything that you've been over. I need to hear about all the records because you can't continue in this role any longer. And what the dishonest manager then does is act quickly thinking about his future. He thinks to himself, I can't do manual labor. Like, I can't go out and get a job like I could have when I was, you know, 30 years younger. I can't do that. Uh, and I have way too much pride to beg 
for people to help me. And so I need to do something to make sure that I'm taken care of in the future. And this is the component of it that gets confusing as to what in the world is he talking about and why is he praised for these actions? Because what he does is he calls in the people who owe the rich man money and he cuts their debts. He says, okay, you owe this much. All right, here's a, we're going to write a new certificate. You, we're going to cut that in half. You don't have to pay him that much. You can just pay him half. Uh, and then the next person he calls in and says, okay, well, you can cut that. You can cut 20% off of that. And it says that the rich man praises him for those actions when he hears what has happened. He praises him for thinking ahead on these things. Now, there's a couple of understandings, a couple of different interpretations of what in the world he would be praised for. Some scholars believe that the amount that he cut off of the debt was his own kind of interest. He would have been allowed to have some interest in managing of account, accounts, and he would receive some pay when things came in. Uh, so possibly he's cutting out his portion of the interest to say, hey, you don't have to pay me. Just make sure you pay back the, 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 the rich man. Uh, other interpretations are that it was an unfair act, an unjust act. So the action itself isn't being praised. But what the, the rich man recognizes is, he was smart enough to figure out a way to take care of himself. So yeah, I'm out on this deal. However, this man who's been wasting things away finally realized, I need to be thinking about the future. And so he praises him for at least thinking about the future. Either one of those interpretations gets us to the same conclusion of what Jesus is trying to say. So that's the part that it's like, I still don't quite get why would he be praised in this story. This seems wrong. Uh, but Jesus' point in either one of those uh, comes to the same thing. So let's look at verse 9 through 13 and kind of talk about that to see what Jesus is, is trying to get at as he uses that story. Verse 9, And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of worldly wealth. So that when it fails, they may welcome you into eternal dwellings. Whoever is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And whoever is unrighteous in very little is also unrighteous in much. So if you have not been faithful with worldly wealth, who will trust you with what is genuine? And if you've not been faithful with what belongs to someone else... Sorry, I lost my place. If you've not been faithful with, some, with what belongs to someone else, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, since he will either hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So that story that is a little bit confusing, Jesus now explains, here's what I'm trying to get at concerning resources, concerning your money, concerning your heart. This is what I'm trying to tell you. In verse 9, he says, uh, make friends by worldly wealth. Uh, meaning, it seems to be saying, use the money you have now 
to care for others, to be generous towards others. And in the end, when all money runs out, when you have nothing left, you'll be welcomed into an eternal dwelling. We should be stewarding our money with eternity in mind. And our hearts are tempted to think of money with the, the right now. Uh, I want this because I want to enjoy this now. Uh, I've worked hard for this, so I should have this now. Uh, and Jesus is telling his disciples, you should think of finances. You should think of money with eternity in mind. How you use your finances should be done with eternity in mind. Now, it's important through all of this, and we'll talk about it again, as in these sections on uh, the use of money, that we don't mix this up and think that the point is that if you are generous with your money, then you can buy your way into heaven. That is not what Scripture teaches. Uh, Jesus is speaking to his followers, people who have committed to him, and he's saying, if you're one of my disciples, how you think about your money should be impacted with eternity in mind, and you should think of it as, this is God's, how can I use it for him and to build his kingdom? And verse 10 through 12 kind of brings in that question of faithfulness. Uh, and he bounces back and forth between, if you have a little that you're unfaithful with, you're going to be unfaithful with a lot. And if you have a lot that you're faithful with, you'll be faithful with a little and vice versa in all of this. And so our resources and how much money we have, uh, it really doesn't matter. The question is, are we being faithful with it? So the call is for any one of us to be faithful with the resources we have. Wherever we land on the socioeconomic status, no matter how much our income is, whatever finances we have, whatever resources we have in this world, we should seek to be faithful with them. True disciples should continue to grow and want to grow in their faithfulness of their money and the resources that God has given them. With God's kingdom in mind, uh, not trying to build our own kingdoms. And then in verse 13, Jesus kind of ends the section by helping us see the way we think about money. And he says... This is a condition, it's a matter of the condition of your heart, how you think about money, how you spend your money, how you think about the things that you have in this world is revealing of your heart. And he brings in that statement that says you, you can't serve two masters. There can't be two things that your heart treasures and that you long for. Because if you are longing for one, then you're going to end up hating or despising the other. And so he confronts the condition of all of our hearts and ends that section with saying, you can't serve God and money. And yet, we're tempted to, right? Uh, now, we wouldn't think of it really. We, we talked about idolatry in, in Sunday school this morning in, in Chris's class. These are, this would be an area where we likely wouldn't think of this as like, I'm actually worshiping my money. Uh, but 
we are tempted to treasure it, to cling to it, to let it drive us. And Jesus is saying, if you're a follower of me, you can't worship two things. It's not possible. So, for us... I think it's important as we are kind of thinking about godly stewardship. And remember that first point is if we are going to steward the resources that God has given us, if we're going to manage the things, the money and the things that God has given us in a godly way, it's going to require that we treasure God over money. It's going to require that we treasure God over the things that this world has to offer. And so I would suggest for us, church, that we ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us ways that we are tempted to treasure things more than God. What is it in this world that our hearts are drawn to more often than God? And it may be different for lots of us. But our hearts are drawn towards, because we are sinners, we're drawn to treasure things over the Lord. And Jesus is kindly but directly reminding his followers, you can't treasure something and God. So ask the Holy Spirit to help us see, because we need to see, We're blinded to it often. And then we need to ask God to help us. God, help me be faithful in my finances. Where I'm tempted to cling to it and hold on to it and grudgingly say, well, how much do I have to give? Let's ask God. God, help me be faithful. However you're calling me to be faithful to this. And so that may, that'll look different for some of us. Some of us, the Spirit of God may be working to tell us, I want you to be more faithful and consistent in your giving to the church. Or I want you to increase what you're giving to the church. To others, the Holy Spirit may be telling us, I, I want you to take the resources that, that you have and find a way to bless others and take care of others. I want you to partner with a gospel organization that's spreading the good news of the gospel in your community or in the world. I don't know what the Lord will lead you to, but it does come back to are we treasuring God over our money and over the the things that we have in this world? And so let's be praying and then let's ask God, God, help me be faithful. Because I know my heart's going to be tempted to say, but no, what about? Let's ask God, help me be faithful to whatever it is you're calling me to. So godly stewardship requires treasuring God over money. The second point from Luke 16, godly stewardship requires valuing what God values. Godly stewardship requires valuing what God values. Let's read verse 14 through 18. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, were listening to all these things and scoffing at him. And he told them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the sight of others, but God knows your hearts. For what is highly admired by people is revolting in God's sight. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom is, is, I'm sorry, 
Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God has been proclaimed and everyone is urgently invited to enter it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of the letter of the law to drop out. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery. And everyone who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. So Luke notes in verse 14 about the Pharisees, and he, he adds in there, the Pharisees were lovers of money. Uh, the Pharisees' heart was set on money, and we see their response to Jesus' teaching, where he's confronting the disciples' hearts uh, and the treasure that they may have and the hope that they're putting in those things. And the Pharisees are scoffing at Jesus' teaching on money. See, in their culture, the, the individuals of wealth, they often had a distorted idea that this was a sign of God's blessing on them because they had been really good and faithful. And so they loved to show off how good they had been and that God had clearly blessed them with this financial wealth because they had been such Good followers of God. And Jesus calls them out. Jesus says, you want people to think highly of you. The way you present yourself. The way you look when you're out around everyone. You want people thinking, man, those people must really have their act together. Man, God really has blessed them because they're really good. And he says, but you know what? God knows your hearts. God knows what's going on on the inside. We're good oftentimes at painting ourselves up to look really presentable. The reality is we don't have secret sins. We may be able to keep them from others for a while. But Jesus says, God knows your heart. God knows what's going on inside. And you are treasuring things that God finds revolting. You're setting your heart on things that the Lord despises. What an indictment. And then in verse 16 through 18, he says, Look, a new era has come. And everyone's being urged and invited to come into the kingdom. And so Jesus was coming to put in motion and everyone's being invited in. But that requires a desire for obedience. That requires a desire uh, for faithfulness to God and his word. The Pharisees valued money. They loved it. However, disciples of Christ are called to live differently than the people of this world. Instead of placing the value on money and things, we are to value what it is that God values. So what does God treasure? What does God value? What does God desire for his children? And the text continues to go on. He desires faithfulness. He desires obedience. And so in those, uh, those words where he's talking about the law, the law is not going to come to an end. Obedience to God, faithfulness to God is not going to come to an end. Even though there's a new era that's come in, 
faithfulness to God is still what God desires. But with distorted views of faithfulness, with distorted views about God's blessing on their lives, the Pharisees have set their treasure on the wrong things and they're disobeying God in other areas of life. He mentions marriage in verse 18, which that verse 2 is a verse that's like, how does this fit in to... He's talking about finances and wealth and money throughout this whole thing. And then there's one little verse about marriage. And I think it ties in with a matter of faithfulness. The Pharisees have fallen in love with their money. And he's saying, you, you quit caring about what it is that God desires. And one practical example of that is in your marriages. God would desire faithfulness in your marriage. He wants you to be committed to one another. And yet your hearts are set on the wrong things and you are letting that distort the way you live out your lives. And so people are, are divorcing when God's intention was for people to stay committed to one another. We need God to work in us. We need God to change the way our hearts think about things, the way our minds see things. And the good news is that's what the Holy Spirit does, right? We looked at this verse at the beginning of the year. Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good pleasing and perfect will of God. The Holy Spirit, if we are followers of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is in us, working in us to shape us and is renewing our minds, helping us think biblically, helping us treasure the things that God treasures, value the things that God values, instead of chasing after worldly goods, instead of chasing after Something tangible that this world has to offer. Pursuing faithfulness. Pursuing obedience. Understanding God's will and what He, what he desires for us. And so, church, let's ask God to continue to give us a new way of seeing things. Let's ask God, God, help me stop seeing the things of the world with a worldly mind. Shape my mind, shape my heart to where I'm thinking of these things in a new way and I'm valuing things that you value instead of the things that this world is telling me to value. And in all of that, let's keep pursuing obedience to the Lord. That's His will, that's His desire for us, is, is pursuing faithfulness to His Word and His law. So let's value faithfulness over material things. The last point concerning godly stewardship is this. Godly stewardship requires caring for those in need. Godly stewardship requires caring for those in need. This parable is going to be directed at the Pharisees. So remember, Luke notes the Pharisees were there and 
They're scoffing at Jesus on his teaching on the way you think about wealth, the way that you use your resources. And so this story is intended to kind of tie in to that reality. It's kind of a, here's a picture of what's going on in your hearts where you're chasing after worldly wealth and you're disobeying God and not being faithful to what God would desire for you to do. And so, let's look at verse 19 to 24. There was a rich man who would dress in purple and fine linen, feasting lavishly every day. But a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, was lying at his gate. He longed to be filled with what fell from the rich man's table. But instead, the dogs would come and lick his sores. One day, the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he looked up and saw Abraham a long way off with Lazarus at his side. Father Abraham, he called out, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this flame. So in this parable, one, we're going to see this confrontation of the issues with the Pharisees, but it's also where we're going to see some of the scriptural teaching that's supported elsewhere, not just in this parable, but scriptural teaching on the afterlife on uh, heaven and hell. So at the beginning of this story, we've got two people with two very different life experiences, right? We have a rich man and a poor man. The rich man is unnamed, uh, which is intentional in this story, that the individual who thought he had built up such a kingdom for himself isn't even remembered in the story. And there's a poor man whose name is Lazarus. That's intentional in the story. The name Lazarus means God helps. God helps. God helps and cares for those that are in need. And so the rich man is enjoying all the blessings, all the luxuries of life. Living and experiencing the best of things, the best of clothing, the linen garments, likely you're talking about even the finest of undergarments. He has the best of everything and has a feast every single day. And yet outside at his gate, Lazarus is laying there and longing to eat just the crumbs that drop from his table. And of course, the the confrontation is at the, the Pharisees who don't care for people in need. They love money so much, they, they couldn't care about meeting the needs of others. And so here, the rich man, Lazarus is thinking, if I could just have those crumbs... And yet he gets no comfort from the rich man. 
The only comfort he gets in this life is from the dogs coming to lick his open wounds. An indictment against the rich man. Even a dog is comforting Lazarus more than you ever did. You did nothing for him. And then the story continues and there's two different afterlife experiences. The poor man dies and goes to Abraham's side or the, the text literally says is in the fold of Abraham's robe. Uh, so the image of just being taken in and cared for in heaven. The rich man, however, is buried and is in Hades or is in hell. And we see here and throughout the rest of the text that hell is a place of torment. Hell is torture. And so in that story, he asks for some help. And we see a continued indictment against what his heart is because the indictment is he still views Lazarus as beneath him. Abraham, would you send Lazarus to serve me? Send him to bring me some water. I'm suffering here. The flames of hell are a torment to him. So two different people, two different life experiences, and two different afterlife experiences. Important that we remember. The story is not intended to say, if you're wealthy, you don't go to heaven, but if you're poor, you do. That's not the point of the story. He's using the story to point to the heart of the Pharisees and say, you treasure money and there's need everywhere. And if you were truly a child of God, you would care about this because God helps people who are in need. So verse 27, I'm sorry, verse 25 and 26. Son, Abraham said, remember during your life you received your good things just as Lazarus received bad things. But now he's comforted here. While you were in agony, besides all this, a great chasm has been fixed between us and you so that those who want to pass over from here to you cannot and neither can those from there cross over to us. The roles have been reversed. The Pharisees thinking God's really pleased with us because we have all of this wealth. And the roles are reversed. Again, reminding us, we've seen this three times now in the last maybe month, that there are some who believe that God clearly is pleased with them and that they are going to have an eternity of blessing, and yet their hearts are actually far from God. They actually aren't one of God's children. And so here, there's the great reversal And the confrontation is, you did nothing for Lazarus. Abraham speaking to the rich man. You did nothing for the needs that were right at your gate. You weren't really one of God's children. And with that, we see another teaching on hell. And that it is for an eternity. There's no way you don't serve some time and then get out. 
If you're not one of God's children and you are sent to hell, you can't leave there. And he says that it's not possible for Lazarus to come and help you. So heaven and hell are places of eternity that we will spend with one of one or the other based off of our faith in Christ. Verse 27 to 31. Father, he said, then I beg you, send him to my father's house because I have five brothers to warn them so they won't also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone will, from the dead goes to them, they will repent. But he told him, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. So he says, well, if I can't be comforted, Abraham, who's speaking as a representative of God, if I can't be comforted, would you at least send Lazarus to my brothers? At least let my brothers know you don't want to end up where your brother is. Live a life of faith. Turn to God. Serve God. And... Abraham says, that's what God's Word is for. God's Word teaches that. God's Word teaches everything that is necessary for salvation. God's Word is clear on the condition of all of our hearts. And clear on the provision of a Savior that God has given. And so Abraham says, that's what the law and the prophets are for. They should listen to the law and prophets and obey. And the rich man continues pleading on their behalf and says, no, but they're they're not going to listen to that. But if you would just perform a miracle, if someone came back from the dead, surely they'll listen then and they'll, they'll turn to God and they'll be faithful to God. And that, of course, is some foreshadowing in the story. Because remember where Christ is headed. He set his eyes on Jerusalem. We saw that months ago in the story. He was determined to go to Jerusalem where he was going to die for our sins. And he was going to be buried and he's going to rise again on the third day. And so there's some foreshadowing in that story saying there are some people's hearts who are so hardened that even at seeing a a miraculous act like someone coming back from the dead, their hearts are so hard they still won't repent. They still won't turn to God. And that happened. Christ rose from the dead. People saw him. And many people still didn't believe So again, remember that none of this section is intended to tell us that giving to the poor or how we steward our money is how we are saved. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's it. So these stories aren't intended to say this is how you can make it into heaven. Be a generous person. Or give to the needy. That's not what the stories are saying. The point of the parable is to confront the Pharisees who love their money. 
And the point of the parable is to teach his disciples. If you're one of my followers, you've got to stop treasuring and clinging to the things of this world. And you've got to treasure God. And you've got to desire what it is that God desires. God has given us laws. God has called us to obedience. And if we are followers of Jesus, we should care about those things. And we should be willing to use the resources that we've had to be thinking of how can God use this for His glory, for His good. We should use our resources with eternity in mind, thinking of God's kingdom and caring for those in need just like God cares for those in need. So the world is full of those. The world is full of needs. They're around our church. They're throughout our community. There are needs everywhere. And if we are followers of Jesus, we should look for those needs and we should be willing to take action to demonstrate compassion for those in need, just like God does. Remember Lazarus' name. God helps He actually cares. He demonstrates compassion for us. So let's be aware of needs. Let's take action to demonstrate the kind of compassion that our loving God has for people in need. So let's be thinking about individually and as a church. What are some ministries? What are some things that, that we can partner with? What are some things that we can do that are physical representation of God's God's compassion for people who have need and then let's be generous with our money and with our resources by God's grace through the accomplished work of Jesus Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit we can steward God's resources with eternity in mind we're going to need God to work on us But he's committed to that. He sent his son for us. And he has given us his spirit to shape us and change us. And so with that, we truly can treasure God more than the things that this world has to offer. We truly can start to value faithfulness and obedience to the Lord instead of valuing the things that this world has to offer. And we can compassionately care for those in need because He cared for us. For God's glory, let's strive towards those things. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we often think of money and things and the resources of this world with a sinful heart. And we still need you to shape us into the people that you want us to be. Help us treasure you. Help us value the things that you value and make us a compassionate and generous people. Not to build up ourselves, but to point people to you and your compassion and love. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.